It's Thursday, October 26, 2017, and you're listening to episode 464 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 53 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Wayne. My name's Chad. Broder's at the clinic, so you just got the three of us. All right, we got couple things to cover here right up front as announcements, and then we're going to get down to it. On the topic we picked out and discussed, right? <laughs> yes, that's precisely it, on the topic we prepped. I came, yeah, I came fully prepped for this one. Yes. <laughs> and by which we mean nothing was discussed. <laughs> but I've actually been prepping notes on this for a while now, so this is not an unprepared topic. You guys, to you. <laughs> you guys are just getting blindsided. This is a no. kangaroo court. All right, so first off, there is a collection of short fiction, or what they call flash fiction, which is really... Affliction. Fliction. <laughs> and if you have one of these, it's called Affliction. Yeah. So there's a collection of afflictions mm. called Flash, and it's a flash fiction story, if you're not familiar with that. You're talking about a thousand words. This is the sort of thing that you read in a quick hit when you've just got a few moments, or maybe read several of them if you got a little bit of time to kill. And when you're pooping and you're not constipated. Precisely. If you've been up on your coffee and fiber, this might be one poop worth of reading. And a collection of these was just released. Fear the Boot did not publish it, but I am one of the authors in there, and there are several other booters that I know are also authors in there. So if you want to pick up a copy of it, Anthology is simply called Flash, and I will put a link to it in the show notes. Uh, my story in there is actually a letter that explains a plot point from Epoch of Rysos, and it's called Signifying Nothing. But once again, I'm not the only booter in there. So if you want to check that out, support your fellow booters, or even just, you know, have a book to read. There you go. I'll link to it in the show notes so you can grab a copy of that. The second thing that I want to mention is that I was just a guest host on a show that has both a video and an audio format called The Greatest Show. I was on episode 140, and I was interviewed by DJ, which is the primary host, and his wife, Trish. And I would describe this in terms of our show as very much bonus episode material. We did talk about some gaming topics, and he actually brought up something that is really fascinating to me that I think we are going to have him back on our show to talk about that is a more specific gaming topic. And so we may be coming back to this. In fact, I, we will be coming back to this. But if you want to catch that interview where DJ and Trish talk to me about a wide variety of subjects, check the show notes for a link to The Greatest Show, once again available, if I'm not mistaken, in both a YouTube and an audio format, so whichever you prefer. If you really need to see my bright, shining, pasty face, then <laughs> that is an option. If not, there is an audio way of grabbing this. I've got a banter topic that I'm springing on both of you. Great. <laughs> I would never do this to you guys. <laughs> so, out of curiosity, have either of you ever played a character that sucks at their job? And I don't mean your roles suck at it, or that you're just a really... You don't know how to play the character. I'll have to back that question up and think, have I ever played a character that had a job? <laughs> you have. In like, Epic of Rexos, you were the engineer aboard oh, the ships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you were quite good at it. Yes, yeah. yes. Using sci-fi is a good example of a spaceship game. Let's say you play a character that is an engineer, mm. but he's actually really horrible at his job. His skill points is that he's an ace pilot. All right, but he hasn't found his calling. So this, all right, well, I'm thinking about this, because since you just sprung this on me, I got to think. But while I'm trying to recollect, there is a character that has been floating somewhere in the hive mind that Chad and I share <laughs> that goes back to the days of yore. I'm talking like late 80s. WrestleBot? No, 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 no. Not WrestleBot. WrestleBot Wrestle, yes. Wrestle was quite good at his job. Yes. WrestleBot was, was the only thing he was good at. That's correct. WrestleBot was a robot sent back from the future mm -hmm. to wrestle in the golden age of wrestling. 
and through wrestling to alter the outcome of human history. Yes. And so... And the turnbuckle pelvic thrust victory dance was yes. handed yeah. down through ages. For anyone who has no idea what we're talking about, in most of these wrestling games, you get to create... Like video your own, games. Yeah, yeah, video games. You get to create your own character mode where you can create the appearance and the stats and the styles and stuff. And Chad repeatedly made this character who was this, like, shining golden robot blue he was a blue was he blue i thought he was gold okay so he's a blue robot is the robot blue or gold (laughs) it's like that dress (laughs) thing thing. maybe that's what he was sent back to work out yeah is maybe like in the future there are wars over (laughs) whether the dress is blue or gold and he was sent back in time to settle that through wrestling wrestling yeah and because if he got close enough to the gold of the belt, mm-hmm. you would know. You right. would have a point of reference. Right. And so he had to, because in the future, there's no goal. No. It, it's all been used. It's in it's, WrestleBot. In WrestleBot. <laughs> to build WrestleBot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all the blue gold has right. been used to build WrestleBot. <laughs> but Chad made WrestleBot. <laughs> and. <laughs> And so that's who we would always play. And we would play these tag team matches. Mm -hmm. And I had two characters. One I don't really remember as a male character. And then I made a female character just because the way the game played, there were certain belts you could only win if you were a female character. So to make sure we could corner all the belts, (laughs) I played a female character. And so we would have these, these mixed tag team matches between Russell Bott and whatever my female character was. And... No, WrestleBot was fantastic <laughs> yes. at his job. This would be like if WrestleBot came back and they made him an accountant. And oh, he's he, missed his calling. Yeah, yeah well, the character... Yeah. Okay, so the character I'm talking about that's in our, our hive mind that we've never played, but he and I have been talking about for like 20 or 30 years now. <laughs> it's not a Weemick. No, it's not a Weemick. <laughs> that's me. I talk about that all by myself. <laughs> is Fernando Bizarro. <laughs> and what Fernando Bizarro is, is he is a guy who claims, this is a D&D character, who claims he is a mage. Right. But all he actually has is a really, really high sleight of hand or insert the right skill for your edition of D&D. And so all he is is he's an incredibly good liar (laughs) and an incredibly good fake. Yes. So he can do magic. But when I say magic, I don't mean actual it's like fireball. Flash powder. Yeah, I yeah, mean like no. flash powder yeah. fireball. And his goal is to try and convince people that he really is a wizard, mm-hmm. even though in truth, to borrow a shadow run term, he's mundane as the day is long. I mean, there is there's yeah. not an not, ounce not of magic even a little bit. to this guy. No magic items, nothing. Yeah, I've thought about doing a character like that too. I love that idea of being the fake character, fake mm-hmm. class. Have I ever played a character that was bad as a job? Uh, the answer is yes, once. I can at least think of. Now, maybe it was more than once, but I can think of once. Where this actually was a pretty similar story, though it was more serious. But it was a character who was a wizard, but was no good at being a wizard. And there was supposed to be a plot point in the story where I worked out with the GM that some things were going to happen that would make him better at his job, but in the process he would actually lose part of his soul, and that was going to be a huge plot point for the GM to define that the GM never did anything with, because it was a great GM. Sarcasm. Close. And it's not anyone at this table, it's not anyone currently on the podcast, but the character out of the gate was an actual wizard, did cast actual magic. This wasn't Fernando Bizarro. <laughs> but the stats and all the spell book and everything, no good. This was not a good magician whatsoever. I played a bridge troll in one of your games that didn't know how to be a bridge troll or why. That is true. He was terrible at his job. And then he became king of the goblins, didn't even know it, and was a terrible king. David Bowie wasn't there to explain no, it. No, he wasn't. Not anywhere to be found. Didn't even have a song for you. <laughs> no, nothing. Nothing. Thanks, Wayne. Where was David Bowie when Ward needed him? I got nothing. <laughs> I have no answer for David Bowie. <laughs> I want to be the Ward. What Ward? The Ward of the Horde. What Horde? The Horde of Marijuana. <laughs> so, other than those, I don't, I don't think I have. 
I played a lot of characters who didn't really have jobs necessarily. What got me thinking about it was looking at people I know just in real life where sometimes They're somebody terrible at their job. Yeah, some... I played a librarian who never was at his library and whenever he wanted to go out and do the superhero stuff in Wayne's game, he would just close the library. Yeah. <laughs> he was a he was a terrible librarian. <laughs> but to answer your question, Dan, yes, I was thinking about people I know in my real life that are horrible at their jobs because they're doing the wrong job. It doesn't fit their personality. It's not playing to their strong suit. You know, okay, so I've got a couple others. Now, I'm not going to describe these as incompetent characters. I would describe these more quickly as inhibited characters. And what I mean by that is these are characters that had some extenuating circumstance that made them bad at their job. For example, substance abuse. And so they could theoretically be great at their job, but they were hooked on something, alcohol, harder drugs, things like that. I've played characters like that. One of the characters I played, this was in a sci-fi, far future sci-fi, plus there was a magical element to it setting. And I played a character that was an elementalist. And I actually based this loosely on the way the elements were presented in Ultima 8, for anyone who ever played that. And what I would do is all the time I would roll a D4 and I had a chart of my own game master never made me do this. And based on that chart, he would be under the influence of one of the elements and its preferences. And so maybe you need him to do some healing or something, but he's under the influence of purging fire. And so he's not terribly helpful to the situation because of the fact that, while I guess there's a third party involved, so maybe we'll call this possession, but it played out more like a mental illness. See, I want to create a character now that is, it's a badass at something, and that's not its job. <laughs> that's, next time I make a character, I may end up doing that, because I kind of like this idea of playing a character who has missed his calling, and then throughout the course of the campaign or game, discovers, oh, that's what I'm good at. I think I, could be right fun. now, Wayne, let me tell you, from the, the times that I've been burned on this, you have to have a GM that, number one, is in on this, and number two, no for real, is in on this. <laughs> because that's been my issue. Now, the one that had the elemental thing going on, that was purely under my control, so it worked out great. The one where I had written a character where it's like, he sucks at magic, but I want there to be this event, where he has to sacrifice part of himself, but in return will get better at it. But there's this huge plot thing now of he's given up part of his soul and doesn't know why and wants it back. And now that he's in that greener pasture, would rather be back where he was before and has to find his way back. And the GM did nothing with this. I mean, nothing at all. Didn't even try. And it was a completely wasted opportunity that sounds like a lot though i mean i don't know how it was handled or anything like that i don't know anything about the character of the game but if someone anyone came to me with all of that and i was running a game i'd look at it and be like you know i've got a game to run and, and it's like but and you would say that before the game oh yeah no you wouldn't go. let him yeah. come with a yeah. mechanically I, stunted character. i would work with you to like let's tone it down yeah. and shift some sure. things so we can fit it in bingo but, and that was the issue. The issue is not that the GM said no. Right. The he issue, said yes, he did nothing. Precisely. The GM said yes, and then that was the end yeah. of the story. Yeah. And that was the problem that I have. Is man, It's like, okay, we agreed on this as my character concept. I made the character this way. I have handed you mm -hmm. a huge amount of plot and character tie-in and buy-in for a game that, to be blunt, was actually kind of tepid otherwise. <laughs> And he did nothing with it. And that's my grief. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not that he rejected it, unlike Narl Atapawamek. <laughs> <laughs> Which gets automatic rejection right, every that, time. That's my pineapple flag. I'm going to fly <laughs> that going into every game. And if you're joking, I'm joking. If you're serious, I'm serious. <laughs> but <laughs> no. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, no. I, and I, I want you guys to know that I, I'm sorry. I'd love to credit the right person, but I'm a few drinks deep. I wanted to use the gnarlified version of the map for mm. our most recent 
Iron Blood Dwarves game, and I got vetoed on that. And so then I started copying it by hand and making the way McCole and everything, and John bitched at me, and I had to erase it. But none of us know how to erase anything. So. Uh, no, I did. I figured out how to erase it because I've used Roll20 more times than I'd like to admit. <laughs> Even though it's less user-friendly, I significantly prefer Map Tool. Somebody out there is applauding right now. <laughs> that one That fan. one guy. But you know what? That one guy or girl. is the guy that wrote Map Tool. <laughs> no, no, no. That, they, they get it. I tell you. Uh, well, especially given the fact that there's a very good chance, not guaranteed, but there's a good chance that after his D&D arc ends, if it's not our next game, probably our second or third to next game is going to be Battletech. You can't run Battletech in Roll20 because it doesn't handle hexes. Map Tool handles them wonderfully. And so it's going to come, you're going to be seeing Map Tool. Well, you won't, Wayne, because you're a stupid bitch who. <laughs> I don't watch people play games. Yeah, you should be playing in this game, is what I'm saying. That, that's what I'm putting down, and you're not picking up. You go to another one of your stupid escape rooms with cats, and I'm going <laughs> to drop some major plot bombs, and you're, you're not going to be there for them. I can listen. I'll listen to people play games, but I'm not going to watch them. <laughs> you two are creepy. So what are we talking about, Dan? All right. So what I want to talk about today, other, other than all this silliness, is there's something that this is another one that you don't have to follow the game to understand what we're going to talk about. This came up in the Skies of Glass actual play. I'll link it yet again in the show notes for anyone who's not been paying attention. But you don't have to have listened to it to follow what I'm going to talk about. Because there's something that I was doing in the Skies of Glass game, particularly when you guys were still in the St. Louis proper, which has now changed. As of the past two games, you've been outside of that. Uh, but there was a lot of interpersonal and interfactional politics. And I had a couple people contact me and say, hey, I love the way you're handling the politics in the game. And could you give some advice on how to integrate this into my game? It is one of your strong suits as a GM is the politics of factions. Yeah, and that's what I want to emphasize here. That's point zero. Is when I talk about politics, I'm not talking about the one-on-one -on -one type of politics of we don't bring this subject up with so-and-so because it's going to set them off. I don't mean that. What I mean by politics is playing the situation the chessboard of how everything is unfolding to try and get something done when brute force, especially when we're talking about broadly applied is not going to work. Now there may be a moment where brute force is the right answer, but kicking your ass through this is not going to get you there. And so how do you describe a situation where you have, two, three, four, five, a million different factions that each want their own things. And the players are either on one of those factions or caught in the middle of them or whatever. And you as a game master are trying to portray this in a compelling and meaningful way. And so this is what I want to talk about. All right. So, and this is something once again, it came up in the skies of glass game. So let's start with that which is, first of all, to make this work, you have to clearly define who the factions are and what it is they want. Because if you don't understand what the factions stand for, what they're after, then politics can't occur. All right, I don't want to get off on real-world politics, but let's talk about things just very briefly and in the abstract, like the American legislature. If Political party A wants to get a bill through, and they know that it's not going to be appealing to the other political party or parties. They have to find a way to throw in some bones that will appeal to them or for them to vote against would make them look bad. I or mean, make a deal about a different bill that they do uh, like. Precisely. Yeah, yeah, the maneuver. And so they maneuver to get what they want accomplished. All right. But the point is that you can't do this if you don't have defined somewhere what it is these people want and what it is these people stand for. And so I think that's one of the things you have to start with immediately. You have to figure out what is the point of contention and what is it or who is it that's participating in this and what makes them distinct from one another. Now, this could be individuals. It could come down to there is a person 
who's in charge of a faction, who has certain ambitions or goals, and that's what's driving them. Or it could be an ideology that they believe, they as a party believe in something, and the absence of one person is not going to change that. Or it could be any combination or any gradation thereof. All right, so with that said, here's what I came up with in terms of trying to dissect how do I make politics work. First rule, figure out what the rules are. There has to be something that everyone must abide by or defer to while playing the game. All right, let me give some examples here. It might be laws everyone has to abide by. All right, for example, let's go back to the American legislature, dysfunctional as it is or whatever. I don't know if it's how this show's about. There are rules that people have to abide by. There are rules of conduct that oversee the individual chambers. There's a constitution by which those laws are passed. There's a process by which these individuals are elected. There is a consistent set of rules these people have to play by. If we talk about the king's court and there's this faction and that faction and this lord and that lord and the captain of the guard and they all want something different, there are still laws of the land or a person at the top that represents something consistent they have to play by. If there's no consistency, if this is just a raw power grab, could be a great game, not a political game. This is just chaos. It's anarchy. It's a brawl to the top that might involve some personal manipulation, but this isn't the type of politics we're talking about. And one thing that can gain you is that in those situations, people may be willing to break the rules. So that's another aspect to your politics is discovering how the rules were broken and presenting that to the right person. How the rules were broken, how they were bent. In the case of the Skies of Glass game, the rules that everyone had to abide by were the general construct of how St. Louis is organized and the overseers at the top. You couldn't violate that. All right, so another example I gave of something that might work like this isn't rules, but an inescapable reality. This is something that could have come up in the Skies of Glass game if you guys had opted to start somewhere different. Let's say that there is a moon colony that if it doesn't at least generally function in a forward way, people die. If someone's not managing the oxygen scrubbers, people die. And by people, we mean everyone dies. This could be something like we're in a colony and it's a zombie apocalypse. And if we completely implode and nobody's manning the walls and nobody's fixing the defenses, we are all dead. That was going to be my example, too. Or a spaceship that has maintenance that has to happen. A submarine that has maintenance that has to happen. Anything that has maintenance that has to happen. Yeah, Chad, if I'm not mistaken, your game, Silent Memories, Mm -hmm. is structured on this. The ship has problems. Yes. And if you don't address those problems, everybody loses. This this is a game, and and there's, there's concepts for this in game theory, but there's a concept where there is a scenario where everybody loses. Mm -hmm. And so winning may mean losing. And so you have to think about how you win. Because if I win by virtue of getting the people that fix the air scrubbers on my side and convincing them to strike, we all die too. Right. Finito. That's the end of the game. And so we can't do that. In the case of the Skies of Glass game, this isn't as obvious, but the desire to avoid unrestricted conflict, Mm -hmm. the desire to see St. Louis as an organization collapse is one of these realities. The third thing that I came up with as an option is it might be something that's requisite for power, image, money, votes, resources. There's something that you guys all have to figure out how to pass around or fight over. Because, for example, let's say you want to try and get the votes to stay in power, but doing something that will get you more votes away from so-and-so means making you look bad in the process, especially if you're found out. And so you have to find some way to manipulate the situation. But my point here being, between all three of these examples... So between being the laws everyone has to abide by, inescapable realities of survival, 
or something that is requisite for power, I want to stress there are rules to the game that everyone on the board has to play by. If you play a game of chess, the one thing both parties agree on is they're playing chess, and chess has established rules. You don't just get to make the pieces do whatever you want. If you don't have these rules, maybe a great game, right? not a political it's not, game. It's not politics. It's just murder hobos, or it's doing what you want. And that doesn't necessarily mean every faction has to be equal either. Looking at a game of chess, you walk up to the game a couple minutes in, one person may obviously have all the power in that game. You know, wait along those lines, I think it probably is worth pointing out that different parties may play to different aspects that I just listed. So it is not an either-or. It could be a both-and. For example, let's go to a moon colony. That's <laughs> right now. There, there could be, along with Richard Garriott, who's <laughs> there in his mind, but it could be something like, I'm going to go for the votes by image. I'm going to make myself look like the populist leader, the people's man. And through that, I'm going to get my votes. But at the same time, there's somebody else who's looking at my initiatives or proposals and finding a way to blame those for the fact that the air scrubbers aren't getting maintained. So they may be playing to a different rule, right? But these are all still rules in play. And I love when you can twist it one layer deep. So let's say you have the engineers. The engineers know that the air scrubbers are broken. But if they tell the person in power, they're going to be blamed blamed for it. So they have to do what they need to do to get that fixed without losing face while following all of the rules that where another faction is trying to do something with the same resources. So they grab someone who's trying to get by on image and votes and they find a way to blame them for their lack of budget, which maybe in truth they were lining their pockets with, but claim they can't get the tools or parts they need now to fix the air scrubbers and everyone's going to die. And so it doesn't have to be the same set of rules that everyone's using, but there does have to be a consistent set of rules to the game. All right, let me give an example. Let's go back to chess. I may be playing against somebody who is a grandmaster of chess. They are just outstanding. I stand no chance against this person. But let's say I know that they get frustrated easily. For example, in one of the chess games versus IBM supercomputers, there was one of the games where the human grandmaster that the computer's playing against got frustrated and quit out before the game was over. And in the same way, there was an episode of Star Trek about this too, where Data couldn't beat somebody at, it was some kind of board game. And so he came up with this strategy of what if instead I just played to tie them? I didn't play to win, but I just played to keep them from winning. And what he played to was the fact that partway through, this person freaked out and quit. They forfeit the game because they were too frustrated. War games. Yes, the only way to win is not to play. Or the only winning move is not to play. What are the exact phrases? But the point here being, there are consistencies to the chessboard. Now, one of the big warnings that I have is the politics, and I'm going to direct this quite pointedly at White Wolf Games, not because White Wolf Games necessitate this, but because this is far too often how I see White Wolf games play out. The center point of the politics should not be slobnobbing someone at the top. (laughs) Now, that's not to say the politics cannot be about currying favor with someone at the top. What I'm saying is this, and let's take uh, an example here where there's a king, and you represent different factions within the court, that are trying to curry the king's favor, or maybe the king doesn't have an heir and you're trying to position yourself to be the heir apparent to the throne. It's okay to have that in the background. It's okay to have that as a rule of the game that you have to appease the king. But the focus of what's going on should be about the maneuvering of these other parties and your counter-maneuvering to defeat them. If the game is just about kowtowing and sucking off 
the guy at the top, this is not a good setup. First of all, it's boring. I mean, how long can you spend trying to appease one person and it remains interesting? Secondly, it's a single point of failure. What if somebody kills them? What if one of the, the maneuvering that's going on is the palace spies just poison the king and the king's dead? Well, now suddenly your whole thing falls apart. And third, the NPC is way too positioned to be a GMPC or a wank fest. Or, I mean, I don't know how people deal with this at LARP events where <laughs> like somebody's playing the prince of the vampires and you spend the LARP event, and I'm not saying this is every LARP event, but I've heard the horror stories where the LARP event is centered around slobnobbing that one person, and that's not fun. That's not fun. It's boring, and it creates a single point of failure, and it really doesn't tell much of the story because all it tells you is the satisfaction meter of one individual or one cabal of people it doesn't really tell a story about the what's occurring between these different parties. Now, could you have somebody at the top that everyone's trying to appease? Once again, yes. But the story should be about the maneuvering amongst the second tier with a background character of the guy or girl at the top, not the other way around. It should not primarily be we got to bow and kowtow and scrape at this one person's feet, and let's just see who's doing it the best right now. You know, and maybe something else to figure in here is I got too much pride for that. The one thing that you're, uh, you've kind of danced around, I think you probably end up having this on your numbered point. People are different. So besides different motivations, your factions shouldn't behave the same way. They may have the same rules, but... People go about things in different methods. People have different morals. One person may be willing to kill to get what they want, while another faction may be, that's a moral issue they won't break. Yeah, absolutely. They're going to have different moralities. They're going to have different approaches. They're going to have different strengths and weaknesses. So let's say that in our somebody trying to become heir apparent to the king example, you have a spy master who's willing to poison the king. And maybe you have a group of loyal knights who would never do such a thing, but their leader still wants to be the next king, and maybe even for benevolent reasons. Maybe he or she really does think that they would be the best ruler in line. And so what they do is instead of poisoning the king, they try to find a way to expose that the Thieves' Guild or the spy master, or whatever, poison the king, and thus turn the kingdom against them. And so they're going to approach things by different means, with different personalities, with different approaches, because people are different. And the culture of these individual organizations is going to be different, which is why I think it is so important they have definition. And the Sky's a Glass game, the two houses you were dealing with primarily, House Color and House Holloway, both the individual houses and the people that were leading them, I had a great deal of information on what was motivating them, what they really wanted, what they were willing and not willing to do, some of which came up, some of which didn't come up, some of which came up but they were dishonest about. But there was a consistency and, I hope, a depth to what they were doing. It wasn't just, you know, we're going to kill our way to the top and we all have the same way of doing it. We talked about this a while back as an idea, and I still love the idea of going out and outsourcing some of that to other GMs. A, here is your faction. What would your <laughs> faction do in this situation? I, you know, Wayne, I didn't do that for the Skies of Glass game, but I think you were absolutely on to something. Is I could have said, okay, so-and-so who, who I trust but isn't involved in the Skies of Glass game, you represent House Color. Here's the personality of the Duchess. Here's what's going on. What, what's your play? And they tell me what their play is. And I go, somebody else say, okay, I forget his name, but here's the head of House Holloway. Here's what they want. Here's their boundaries. This is the character you got to play. What is it they're doing? And then every so often go back to them with an update. Okay, here's what happened in the game. Here's what your opposing faction head did. What's your response? I think this could be really good for somebody who's not good at politics in general or a GM that feels like they're just stuck in a rut and they need something to push them outside of the box. Yeah. 
find other people and make them do your work for you. There's mm-hmm. got to be some conniving bastard somewhere in your circle of friends and acquaintances who would do this. So you guys talk a lot about the politics, how to set up the factions, how to find their motivations, how to figure out what the maneuvers they're making are. And you can apply that to a whole lot of different situations, all the way from like medieval space magic empire, all the way down to ladies church group. You know, it's all the same. It's just a matter of scope. Oh, office politics were running in the back of my head the whole time we're talking about it. So I guess my question is, how, to use your favorite thing, where does the rubber hit the road on that? How do you present that to the players, and how do you have the players engage in it? Because you can't tell the players everything. You can't tell them, okay, guys, you're about to go in this room. It's the first time you've met the King's Court. Here's your scorecard. Here's all the factions. Here's all their motivations. Here's what they're trying to do. And here's where they're all going to end up. And now you interact with them because that's really stupid. There's no game and no story. There's no game and no story. Yeah. You might as well watch TV. So the question is, for my question is, how do you do that? How do you present the politics and the maneuvering and all that stuff that's going on without it taking over the game? Because there's a, from what you guys said about the politics and the facts and all right. this moment, that is very dense. It's very, there's a lot to it. There's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of character and a lot of character motivations that have to be tracked. And you know, I'm not saying you got to get out your spreadsheets and visios and stuff, but it, it's a lot of stuff that you have to keep in mind. How do you do the integration of that piece of dense game material with the other two quadrants of the players and the actual storyline. Let me give you two approaches to this, because I think categorically speaking, I would separate this in two ways, the insider's perspective and the outsider's perspective. And I'll start with the outsider's perspective. And what I mean by insider and outsider is I mean someone who's inside the politics versus someone who's outside the politics. In the skies of glass game, you guys are outsiders. You may be caught up in the politics because you have a vested interest in them, but you guys do not represent loyalists of House Color or House Holloway. You're not part of it. If we were to do this in a D&D game, this could be anything from maybe your respected advisors of the king, but you're not part of any of these factions. You're part of the church and forsworn any claim on the throne. I mean, I don't know, whatever. But somehow you're murder hobos or you're murder hobos. Yeah. And you claim to it. (laughs) You wander in and the king pays you gold for no particular reason to sort this out because that's what happens. (laughs) So let me start with that. The outsider's perspective. There's a phrase that I think is overused. And I have seen some very, very eloquent attacks on this phrase that I wholly support because I think it is it's used like a hammer, which is show, not tell. But I think in this circumstance, it may be useful. And there may be some mix of showing and telling, but I think showing will help to an extent. All right, let's use the Sky's Glass game as an example. When you guys started off, the town that you were with was in the middle of a conflict. Immediately made it personal. If we did this with D&D Kingdom, could be you live in the land. Could be you're paid to figure it out. But you have some vested interest in this. I started by involving you most closely with one faction. You heard their story, you heard their pleas, but you also saw some inconsistencies. I allowed it to show where these people were being selfish. I made a note to show where these people were being not fully honest. Even if they weren't lying, they weren't telling the whole story. And I did that by setting up plot points that demonstrated one truth and then having them tell you another truth. For example, you guys were at the ground level. You saw the difficulty and the strife and the suffering that was occurring in your own hometown. When you talked to Duchess, who led Leeds House Caller, she gave you a much more detached perspective on it something that was much less emotional, something that was much more about moving pieces on a chessboard than it was about the suffering of real people. 
A similar way I think you could do it is if someone's a complete outsider. You're a problem solver. You've been hired by the king, once again, to separate this out and figure out who is going to do what. I think it would fall upon the game master to say, okay, how are you going to reveal this? Well, the players have some sort of license here to talk to these people. Let them hear the differing perspectives. Don't feel the need to have clear good guys and bad guys. I mean, you can have better and worse, but to me, I don't think a political situation should be about good and evil. I mean, it could be, I guess. But to me, I think it should be about whether the party finds a case compelling or not, whether they find it to be the best of options or not. Now, maybe there is genuine villains in there who are playing the politics to their own end. These are, in D&D terms, the lawful evil people. And the most frustrating thing in real life that I think could actually be a lot of fun in a game is when you're the party that's between two people that then go to war with each other. So have you ever been the person where you've got two friends that are fighting? Yep. You want to be friends with both of them. Both of them are pissed off at each other, and they're looking at you saying, take my side. I have, and... And it sucks. It does suck. Yeah, I was going to explain how I resolve that in real life, but that's kind of irrelevant. But in a game, that could easily happen. Yes. You are are part of an empire. There are two other empires that now you have relations with. They're at war with each other, but they both trust you. You know, and that was one of the things that almost but didn't play out in the Skies of Glass game was House Holloway, they did have a fairly compelling case on why they were right. Now, you guys said, look, we've already thrown in with Caller. We're not going to queer that deal by throwing in with a different house. And so you opted to not hear the guy out. But you could have, and I did have prepared what I felt. You may not have agreed with it, but he at least had a point. He at least had a plausible argument to why his way was the right way of doing things. And so from an outsider's perspective, I think that you have to put the party in a position where number one, they have an opportunity to freely interact with the people, not just hear about them because I think to just hear about them, in my opinion, it's too detached, just too clinical, but to actually sit down and to hear them at the human level, explain and defend their case. And to see the actions that they take that are helpful and unhelpful. And this can be things they intend to show you. This could be things that you simply stumble across because you put two and two together or just happen to be in the right place at the right time or wrong place at the wrong time, however you want to look at it, to see something go down. So what was interesting in our case is that we weren't pure outsiders. We were a party of outsiders with one person that used to be an insider. Chad's character. I'm curious, did you prep him before the games or before the session of this is what it was like when you were an insider? No. Nope. I did not. And part of the reason I did that was, one, I did not want to give Chad a super unfair leverage in that situation as a player. Now, he already had some by virtue of what his character was, but I didn't want to have him exerting too much knowledge, too much control over the situation. The game should present the information. Yes. A player who is on your team should be part of the receiving of the information. It, it well, Cause that's what I was wondering in a situation where you have one insider and a party of outsiders, sometimes that can be a way to get that information out, but it's getting it out through a filter. And it, yes, and it also puts a lot of spotlight on the guy who knows everything. Oh, it does. Yes. Bingo. Too much. Be, unless you play up, and Wayne, I think there's a word to use there. It's very important. Unless you really strongly play up the filter aspect, mm-hmm. that this person has information that plainly does not line up to reality, that clearly there's something they've been told or something they've been led to believe that is unreliable, which calls into question how much else do I know that is unreliable. And I'm not suggesting that as a way to screw over that player. I'm suggesting that as a way to balance out the power level that the power that the party has. I think that would be really cool to, as a GM working with a player, 
and doing the uh, the two truths and a lie, basically. <laughs> I'm going to give you three pieces of information. Two I will tell and you, a lie. I will yeah. tell you as a player, two of these are true, one of them is a lie. Mm-hmm. Your character believes all three of these are nice. true. That could be a lot of fun. Yeah. From an insider's perspective, I think you have a different dynamic at work. Because if you are an insider, then this already presupposes you have loyalties to, ties to, sympathies for one of the factions. Now, that may change. Once you find out, sir, this is up to the GM. They may come to find out, they being the players, may come to find out that the faction they're attached to is totally full of crap and is crooked as hell and is not what they thought it was. Or maybe they don't. Maybe it comes out that this group really is exactly everything they claim to be. It is at face value what they claim to be. But I think you are still, from an insider's perspective, in that situation of showing is going to be valuable. That as you go out, it's a delicate situation. Anybody that's good at politics is going to want to have every card in their hand that they can. And that includes people who are in the know and other factions. And so other factions may try to woo you over with whatever works for you. They may try to bribe you financially. They may try to sell you morally, you know, why they're correct and your faction's wrong. They may try to convince you that you're not evil, you're just misguided. You know, I mean, there, there may be any number of things they try to do to win you to their cause. Even if they don't, even if they have no interest in winning you to their cause, there's still going to be that show don't tell in where you get sent out like, hey, we've caught word through the grapevine that someone's going to try to poison the king tonight. So you go out there, you interrupt the feast, well, any number of things happen. Someone does attempt to poison the king, you find them, you catch them, and it turns out it's exactly what you thought. Or maybe it's an outsider and it's not clear what party hired them. Or maybe you disrupt this feast and make a total ass of the king in front of some other kingdom, and there was no poison at all because somebody set you up. But I I think there are these plot points that you can string together to slowly reveal the dispositions and the attitudes of the other party. But let me stress once again, this comes down to the game master having two things. One is they themselves must have a clear understanding of these individual parties. And two, I think they ought to have some way, even if it takes a while, by which the players can find out the truth. If you guys had opted to talk to the head of Holloway, you would have heard their version of events, their story, their angle on things, and you would have had an opportunity to compare that to a baseline reality, which is what you saw in in Herman. You came from Herman. You know what occurred there. You don't need somebody else to tell you what occurred there. And so you can measure what either side is telling you against the reality you saw there and the passion that you guys have for that town. And they might have had a compelling case, and it may have been another shade of gray. It may have been, you know, it's not one side's good and evil, but these are two sides that are just kind of differing takes on things. But it gives you some room to pick. And let me stress this as another point. Politics doesn't have to have a clear good and evil. And this is something I mentioned earlier, but I want to come back to. One of the neat things about politics, it is a great Rorschach test for the players and the characters because every side may genuinely have a point. So that leads into something that I've noticed with certain players. Some players go in and they need to make the right choice. They look at every situation that there's a right and a wrong choice. In the style of game you run, that's usually not the case. There's nuances to it. There's choosing one person over another. There's not a right or wrong answer, typically. It's just a, now things will happen with this faction versus the other faction. How do you deal with those type of players? Where they will dwell and analysis paralysis over the idea that, I'm making the wrong choice when they're in reality, there may not be a good choice at all. Let let me give you two answers to that. One is if we assume this person is unique within the group and is not causing a problem, I let that play out. That's wonderful chaos. 
to have somebody who feels that strongly about it while the rest of the party wants to move forward. Now, if that is either the primary personality of the players or the person who feels that way is a dominant personality within the group. Or there's another option that I've seen frequently. That's the player that's the leader of the group. Well, that's what I meant. Whether they're the dominant personality or not, they are mechanically, this is the commander of the group. Right. And I think in those cases, you may have to go ahead and make there be a good guy and a bad guy. Or you may have to, I mean, if nothing else, you may have to find out what it is they consider good and evil and start to appeal to that. Does this person value charity above order, order above spirituality? I mean, I don't know. But find out what it is that they are attracted to and create a faction that's most attractive to that person. And if we're playing a game of politics, going back to everybody wants as many cards in their pocket, if another faction picks you up, if another faction catches you out in the open, yeah, they might try to kill you or they won't because somebody who's smart sees the investment. They're going to take you on board. They're going to tell you their version of events, maybe truthfully, maybe not, maybe some mix of the two because of the fact that winning you over is far more valuable than having you dead. Or maybe they really are just playing freaking evil and they're going to kill you on the spot or at least attempt to. But you still have that basic problem of even if, let's say there are three factions, one is good, and two are just different kinds of evil. If we go back to the realities that are at work here, the underpinning realities, the king needs an heir, the moon colony has to survive, whatever it is, if you've designed this right, even the evil people have some role in this. They have some legitimacy that you have to figure out how to work around. Because if you don't, then once again, this isn't a game about politics. It's a game about fighting your way up to the boss, who's the leader of the faction, and then taking his magic shoes. And that's cool if that's your game. But that's not a political game. It's just a hack and slash where you have to discover who the enemies are. The most important thing is shoe size. At that point. Yes, yeah. precisely. Mm. Or do are you playing the editions of D&D where magic items resize? Oh, resize. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So suddenly their size 9 regular becomes a size 11 and a half wide to mm. fit you. Awesome. I think that's where we're going to cut this one off. Once again, check the show notes for a link both to Flash, the fiction anthology, and then also to The Greatest Show, which is an interview that I did. And beyond that, have a great week and great games, and we will catch you guys on the next one. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2017. Listeners are free to use this episode in any non-commercial endeavor, so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the RPG Academy Network of Shows. You can find other great shows in this network at therpgacademy.com slash network.